We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, September the 22nd, 2020. On today's show, just as we did last week, each and every single Tuesday, Alex McGrath, former Gamecocks ball player, he played for South Carolina from 2005 to 2008. He joins me to break down everything Gamecocks ball related, and we start on this Tuesday talking about the crazy offseason that season is to come. Will Muschamp's job status, the hire of Mike Bobo, the quarterback battle with Colin Hill being named QB1, his outlook for the 2020 football season, much, much more, as I'm very, very excited to have Alex McGrath join the show once again this football season. Sit back, relax, enjoy, folks. It is all brought to you by our friends over at MyBookie. Guys, football season is here. College football, NFL, it's all in full swing. we got everything going on right now. Fall, you can, you can feel that crispness in the air, a fall, a football season. And at MyBookie, that can only mean one thing. It is winning season. Guys, winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At my bookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Like I said, guys, you can bet anything. Bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, college football, NFL, literally anything and everything you can think of, you can bet on it. The crazy sports time of your lifetime is here. It's truly simple, guys. Make your picks, win big, and collect your cash. Invest in your tuition, select from hundreds of future bets, or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Go to MyBookie.ag. That's MyBookie.ag. Use promo code GameCox, and you're going to double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. So, guys, listen to what I'm saying. MyBookie.ag, promo code GameCox, double your first deposit. You put in $1,000, they are going to match you, give you 1000 in free play. Put in 500 they'll give you 500 Put in 250 they'll give you 250 et cetera. It's really that easy. It's literally free money they are putting in your pocket. Because, listen, if you're going to gamble this season, who doesn't want free money to play with, right? It's a win-win scenario. It's designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sports wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Again, guys, that's mybookie.ag, promo code Gamecocks. Mybookie.ag, promo code Gamecocks are up to $1,000 in free play. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. Let's get it.
Joining us today on the Spurs Up Show, once again, he will join us each and every single Tuesday. Like I told you guys, the daily podcasts are back, so we are live on a Tuesday. And former Gamecocksball player, just like I said, just like he did last season, I had to bring him back. The conversation was phenomenal. Former Gamecocks tight end wide receiver, played on special teams. He was with South Carolina 2005 to 2008, in case you forgot. Alex McGrath joining the show. Like I said, like he did each and every single Tuesday last season. Alex, I'm excited. Like I told you just a second ago off air, now, now at this moment, it officially feels like football season is here when I get to talk to you and see your face. We get to see your face now. We got the Zoom. We we upgraded. We upgraded a little bit. Get to actually see your face now. I don't know why I didn't think of this last year, but Alex, I appreciate you taking the time doing this once again this season, man. I'm really looking forward to it. And I mean, of course, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Knowing Gamecock football, there's going to be a lot of drama this season for us to uh, for us to break down for sure. Undoubtedly, and you know, the, the world brought to you by the coronavirus pandemic. Now, of course, we get to do this via Zoom. So there's video, yeah. there's audio, we got it all. I, I'll ask you before we dive into everything football related, just you on a personal level. How's uh, how have things been as far as the pandemic? I, I know a lot has changed over the last six, seven, eight months, and. I think things are slowly starting to come back to normal as far as, you know, I think having sports is sort of helping the world move that direction. But, I mean, for a while there, yeah, I guess we were all stuck in our houses. But how how have things been for you work-wise, life-wise? I mean, again, I know the pandemic's affected everybody in some type of way. Oh, certainly. I mean, work-wise, it was – I mean, it is what it is. You, you work yeah. from home for a little while. We got to come back into the office. I got to come back June 15th, so we've been about three months back here. Mm. You know, obviously – Work from home with a two-year-old and a one-year-old presents some very unique <laughs> challenges. So it was wonderful to get back in here. Uh, I got to spend, some, although you know, that being said, I got to spend some awesome time with them that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten to. So, you know, it, it was a rough go over there for a little while, but things seem to at least kind of slowly be matriculating back to normal. Yeah, um, that, I think they said nobody has enjoyed this more than dogs. Dogs are yeah. loving. They're like, this is dogs are like 2020 is the greatest year ever. Yeah, everybody's home with them all day. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. My dog in particular, I know, is thrilled with it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to ask you, sticking kind of with that, um, because obviously the season starts this week, South kind of playing Tennessee. And I mean, <clears throat> I'm someone at this point, I'm just grateful we're having a season because for a while there, you had no clue if it was even going to happen. You know, really, honestly, Alex, I, I've stayed positive, optimistic. I'm just kind of that type of person. But I will say the one day or stretch of two, three days I had where I, seriously, seriously had my doubts was about a month ago or a little bit over a month ago, the Big Ten and Pac-12, when they made that announcement that they were postponing or really just canceling football. I mean, that's the way you look at it. When they made that announcement, I thought that was it. I I thought there's no way the SEC is going to play. There's no way anybody's going to play. I'll just ask you, though, with all that happening, then we finally – the SEC stood its ground. I thought Greg Sankey and those guys have done a fantastic job. Now we're seeing the Big Ten flip course. Pac-12 is trying to do the same. Can you just imagine being a player in this scenario where, I mean, for a while you have no clue if your season's even going to happen. Then you have no clue when fall camp's going to happen. Then, you know, you're going through. And, you know, I I heard Mac Brown talk about it before UNC's first game when they played, I believe it was Syracuse. They were asking him about everything going on. And he told them straight up that, you know, we took a poll of our guys. You know, we asked them, hey, raise your hand or tell us when did you – when did you for real think football was actually going to happen? They were like, Coach, the week of the game. Like, I mean, we, we didn't really feel like 100% we were going to get a game until the week of the game. And it's like, okay, this is a real thing. But 
I'll just ask you, can you just imagine even being a player in this circumstance right now? You're going to play in stadiums that are a fifth of capacity as well. Like, I just think it's it's crazy to think how these guys are navigating through this. And, I mean, they're going to end up going out there and having a season. Yeah, no, I no, I can't even fathom trying to go through something like that just because of the uncertainty of it all. Or, like, are, you, are we going to have practice? Are we going to have workouts? Are we going to be in classes? Are we going to be living on campus? Are we going to be in some kind of NBA-type bubble if they can create anything like that? So, no, I mean, I'm sure that's just been a – up and down roller coaster for everybody. I think really like looking at the first couple of games I got played, there was there was some rust sitting mm-hmm. out there from a tackling perspective just because of all procedurally kind of what everybody all the hoops you have to jump through to even try to get this thing going. So there's there's gonna be some rust on the tires coming out there for I think a lot of these teams potentially. Um but it's I mean at the end of the day I, you, I, I imagine going through that all you want to do is get to this week. Mm-hmm to have that sitting in front of you to know that everything you just went through is worth it. And so, you know, I know, like, I'm sure all of our guys are stoked about that. I'm sure all the kids in the big 10 and the pac 12 are equally stoked about it because now they're, you know, fall and just get thrown into a blender and spit out somewhere else. Yeah. And it, the really interesting thing about this year, Alex, is it's really, you're going to find out the maturity of football teams, I think, because, I mean, that's going to, you know, it's, it's going to continue to be a storyline. And no matter how you feel about him, if you test positive, you're going to have to sit out. We just saw Mike Norvell with Florida State. He's going to be out. He's missing the Miami game because he tested positive. But I think, and you can attest this, I mean, leadership's so important on a football team. It's so important in the locker room. Having seniors that can keep the young guys in line or just no matter the age, having guys that can keep others in line and keep everybody on the straight and narrow doing the right thing. So keeping guys, like I said, doing the right thing, not going out, not being places they shouldn't be, and staying healthy, and especially because of depth concerns, I think that's going to be a really pivotal thing for this season, unlike any other that we've ever seen. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. so that, I mean, that leadership component to make sure that, for lack of a better term, all the foot soldiers are in line and not, you know, hanging out at Village Idiot like we used to four nights a week and, you know, going to parties that are on campus where you got – 100 people there so yeah I mean those those elements are huge because if you get 10 guys that test positive on Wednesday yeah you're kind of hosed yeah yeah you're gonna be without them I mean it's, it's just a reality of the situation so let's move on the field we are gonna have a season Alex I mean where else can we start other than the Will Muschamp right it's our favorite topic to talk about um <laughs> Here we are again, unexpectedly. But uh, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> seriously. But so, I mean, of course, and it's everybody I've talked to about the season. That's where you have to start. It's the lead storyline. It's the biggest thing going on right now. Simply put, I'll just ask you and kind of you know get your feelings on this. I've said all off season, five and five or better. That's got to be the goal. That's that's got to be the expectation. Five wins, going five hundred. There's enough talent on this team. We all know what happened last year. We we all lived through it. Getting to five wins, though, even with a conference-only schedule, I feel like it's extremely doable. I think there's a path to five wins. I've said I think there's a path to six wins. It's just all about putting the pieces together and making it happen. Is there – you know, when you come into this season, and we can expand on this too, I've said that I expect Will Muschamp back next year because I think that, you know, the school I saw, they just reported they're taking like a $56 million hit. Everybody's losing money, right? Everybody's losing money. You're not having packed stadiums. You're not having as many games you thought you would. I've flipped the script and basically said that barring a total collapse, like 1-9 and nine or 0-10, oh I think he's probably going to come back in 2021, and that will be the ultimate, hey, you probably got to win eight or nine games or get out. Um, 
But so I think he'll come back because of that. But I'll ask you, what is there? Is there a win total number for you that you feel like that it'll be at least enough to justify bringing him back? Or you'll feel like things are sort of turning around or you're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. Is there a win total for you? I mean, what, what does that, what are your feelings overall as we head into year five of Will Muschamp, you know, factoring in that it is a crazy year this year? So that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about just because like you, given the financial situation where everybody is at this point, I don't think there's any chance that, you know, we're going to put ourselves on the hook right. for what he's got. 13, it'll be, it'll be 13 million into the season, 13 million for the buyout. That is tough to justify Yeah. anyway, but it's even tougher to justify when you had, you know, 15% unemployment six weeks ago. Right. So, I mean, so to that point, I think he's back either way. Like you said, um, you know, if to see a turnaround, I think it's I think it's going to be seven. Yeah, I think that justifies the turnaround. It gives you some expectations coming in to twenty twenty one. And I think, you know, looking at it, you know, there's, there's, I mean, certainly there's a pathway to five, six, seven wins if the ball if the ball breaks your way. Looking at the schedule, it just it, I'd love your opinion on this. Just looking at the schedule, like without trying to create a pathway to those wins, like mm-hmm. what do you see as I'm going to mark these down as W's right now? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I would say, and my record's out there. I've got three and seven. Um, because okay, I, I, I too, as well. yeah, I threw the games. Whenever I do my predictions, I throw it in wins, toss ups, and losses. And I think there are a lot of toss ups on the schedule, but my. I mean, really, man, the only games you can really look at, and I'm saying right now, I'm chalking that as a win. Vanderbilt, for sure. One. And I'm going to say Missouri. It's at home. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. It's, it's scary. I'll be honest with you, though. It kind of worries me late in the season. I mean, you're talking about Eli Drinkwitz, who beat you with App State last year. Now he has SEC talent. So, oh, yeah, that did happen, didn't it? Yeah, that yeah, did okay. happen. So, that's, that's two. And really, bro, those are the only two for sure wins I have because I think Ole Miss on the road is one of those weird, tricky games. I really do. I, like, I, it's, it's more of a win than a – you know what I'm saying? Like, it's – I'd put it like 70% as a win, but I'm not – when I say win, I'm like, this is surefire, no, you know, no doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm locking this in. I could throw Ole Miss in there as a toss-up for sure. So, okay. I have a ton of toss-ups. My losses are – I've got Florida, LSU, Georgia. That's a given. Um, I've got – Texas A&M is a loss just for the simple fact that until we beat them, I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not putting that as a toss-up anymore. That's a loss for me. Um, and then – so the and I've got Auburn. I think Auburn could actually be a close game. I think okay. Auburn could actually be a close game. Um, and, oh, and Kentucky. And Kentucky. Yeah, what am I talking about? Kentucky. Or no, not, not losses, excuse me. The toss-ups would be Auburn, Kentucky, and Tennessee. There we go. I, I was trying, okay. to, try, trying to do the math in my head. But, yeah, so, I mean – this se- and I've talked before, this season's just going to hinge so much on the swing games. And not that it's not different than any other season, but, I mean, you could win as few as two. You could win as many as six. There's so much wiggle room in between that. And it's all just going to come down to the questions being answered on this team. I want to move into, because, again, we're talking Will Muschamp. We're talking coaching. If Will Muschamp's coaching career at South Carolina is going to be re- revitalized, it's going to be because of Mike Bobo. I mean, 110%. Because I think – I'm actually kind of high on the defense this year, Alex. I think you have talent on the defensive side of the ball. But Mike Bobo figuring out the offense, and I, you know, I hate to say this, but I've said it before this offseason, he's going to be trying to squeeze blood out of a rock this year. When you look at just the, wep- the, the weapons they have or lack thereof, the questions at wide receiver, you lose Marshawn Lloyd for the season. Now you've got Colin Hill as your starting quarterback, which I want to talk to you about in just a second. 
But I want to ask you first because I'm not sure how familiar you would have been with him. But again, you were at Carolina 05 to 08, and Mike Bobo <clears throat> was obviously the OC at Georgia. And again, you were an offensive guy, so I mean, I doubt you studied a lot of his playbook or anything, but you just get to know guys. There's a lot of familiarity there. You know who their OC is and stuff like that. When Mike Bobo got hired and got the job, what did you know about him from his days at Georgia and just as an offensive coordinator? So I knew he was Georgia. He was Z07 to 14. He was there a long time. I think he was there like 01 to 14. Like he okay. was there a long He coached I David Green. I mean, he, yeah, he was. Okay. He, he's, he's been known as a quarterback whisperer because he coached guys like Green, Stafford, uh, Joe Cox, if you want to throw him in there. I mean, he's our wide receivers coach now, but yeah. um, Aaron Murray. I mean, he, he's, he coached a lot of big quarterbacks there. Yeah. So, like, I think at the end of the day, like, it's, it's funny to say that because my neighbor uh, is a Georgia grad. Mm. Um, and, like, the day we hired Bobo, like, I was out there talking to him. And he's like, that's a hire. And I was like, yeah, we'll kind of see what happens. And his only comment was there was a lot of Georgia people that were very happy to see him go to Colorado State. And so, like, <laughs> I think – I don't – like, I, it's – what I don't want us to do, and you're talking about squeezing blood out of a rock, and I kind of look at it from a different standpoint of, like, what I don't want us to do is try to, like, squeeze a square peg in a round hole. Mm. Like, the, like, so you, you bring somebody in, like, uh, Luke Doty, at quarterback, who's just a spring athlete, mm. right? And then you look at the offenses that Mike Bobo has run throughout his career, and that just doesn't seem like something that Luke Doty's going to excel in. And he may, he may, he may be like a perfect, like kind of pro style pocket passer. But well, he he got moved to wide receiver. If that gives you any any indication, but he's still playing both. Though, yeah, right? he's playing both. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. So that was disheartening to see on the front end. But neither here nor there. Um, right, right. But you know, like, I, like the only thing I can think to when I think of uh, Mike Bobo's tenure at Georgia is they had A.J. Green, Matt Stafford, and no Sean Moreno on the same team, and they lost three games. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and I know a lot of, a lot of Carolina fans' memory of Mike Bobo is 2014 when South Carolina beat Georgia, but they got down to the goal line. I think they threw it three times, and it's like – It was a tough scene. Oh, my God. It was a tough scene. Not for us, but <laughs> – yeah, you know. yeah, but, yeah, for, that's, that's kind of what they think about, but – yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I think it's all – if Will Muschamp's head coaching career is going to be revitalized, it's going to be because Mike Bobo worked. And everybody I've asked about this, I say, hey, I love to pose that question to him. If South Carolina is to overachieve this year, it will be because of what? And that's what everybody says. It's because Mike Bobo's system worked. Mike Bobo's scheme worked. The biggest thing that scares me, Alex, and I know scares other Carolina fans too, is like you're saying, the whole – and you watch some of the film from Colorado State. I mean, it's not just going to be eye formation. No, like no, and They're, no. they're going to spread it out here and there. But you're – I mean, I agree with you. It's going to be 60-40 run in my mind. They're going to be under center a lot more. Um, and I'll be honest, I think you can get to five or six wins. I talked about this today, actually. You can get to five or six wins – <clears throat> playing ball control, running the football, not shooting yourself in the foot, having a quarterback that's efficient. I mean, you're not going to wow anybody or be on Sports Center top ten. But you know what's so funny to me, Alex? This is I feel like this is Will Muschamp's dream football team. He's gonna be he's gonna be going out there trying to win games with a strong defense and an offense that isn't going to hurt his defense. He wants to win. They're going to try to win games twenty to seventeen, twenty three to twenty. It's it's going to be that style of football. I feel like. 
And in the long term, as far as winning big, I don't think you can do that anymore. It's, it's not early 2000s. You know what I mean? This isn't – this is high-flying. Teams are scoring 50 points a game, whatever. You need that type of offense. But this season's truly going to come down to Mike Bobo. I, I think the biggest thing, though, getting back to what I was saying that scares Carolina fans is, like you were saying, squeezing a square peg in a round hole. You cannot run Georgia's system at South Carolina. You don't have Todd Gurley. You don't have no Sean Moreno. You don't have Matt Stafford or Aaron Murray. That's just the reality of it. And I think if you try to do that, you know, on days where South Carolina can run the football, I think they're going to be pretty successful. But on days that they can't, this offense is going to struggle. It's going to struggle mightily, in my opinion. Well, I mean, and I would tell you, I would say the exact same thing that you just kind of said, where, you know, if what's the best chance of success for us this season? And it's like, you know, if we play ball control, we run the ball well, it's Will Muschamp's dream, right? Okay, great. We win mm-hmm. – six games mm. doing that this year like to your exact point what's the upside to it yeah. like are we gonna have the georgia recruits or the alabama recruits or the southern cal recruits when they were in that system like those same type of guys that you need to be successful in that system right. and it's like again you know we we our program isn't at a level to recruit with those types of guys and so i I look at it from the standpoint of like if you're going to be successful to throw haymakers at those top teams you got to have a scheme that's going to keep them off balance mm-hmm. and i don't and i could be wildly wrong on this i don't see that as the direction we went in mm-hmm. and so that would be my question is like when we look at that yeah we could win five six seven games with this but is that the ceiling well and that and that's you're, something you're i bring in boatloads of five stars on the offensive line to get a huge tight end, you know, big quarterbacks. Like, are we going to consistently be able to put those types of things together to make that system work? Or the way that I look at it is like, you go and get somebody. This is, these are bad examples, obviously, because they're both playing wide receiver now, but you go get somebody like a Dak mm. or you get to go get a Luke Doty and you build something around those guys right. or even Helensky to some extent, you know, we were talking about this last year. I think it was after the Tennessee game. Um, when it was just like, and you know, I'm still of the opinion he was basically hurt the entire year. After oh, he was. No, he, he 100% was, for sure. Yeah. But it's like that same thing, like you watch him play in high school and you're asking him to run all these RPOs and throw off balance with his feet still moving, and that's just not what he's comfortable doing. So, like, how do we tailor our offensive approach to fit the guys that we've got to give ourselves the best chance of success? And that's just not – I again, I could be wildly wrong on this, but that's just not the way I feel like it's – moving right now well and that's what i'll be so intrigued to see with mike bobos to your point talking about Helensky last year the, the the most maddening thing i think because I, I think i think we both agreed brian mcclendon got way too much of the blame last year and mm-hmm. i wouldn't have even cared if they brought him back to be totally honest with you i would i know why they had to do it because muschamp had to put the blame on somebody else he had to Correct. save face had to make a move i understand but what always just blew my mind is you're running this RPO system. It's almost like we we are more dedicated to running a system than running a system around the guys that we have. And I look at a team like Kentucky, the best. I look at a team like Kentucky last year. Yes. When South Carolina played Kentucky, you beat them twenty four to seven. They were inept offensively. They could have, and they had a lot of injuries at the quarterback position. They could have stuck with their third or fourth string guy and tried to go under center and you know run that offense. Whatever. You saw Mark Stoops make an adjustment. He said, I'm going to get my best players on the field. Insert Lynn Bowden, the quarterback, who's not a quarterback. He's a wide receiver. There's no question. Did just enough, though, throwing it. But they put their best athlete in, best athlete in there. 
look what happens. They go to a bowl game. They win a bowl game. I'll be interested to see, is Mike Bobo more concerned about running, oh, this is my system and we're going to run my system, this blah, blah, blah. Or is he more concerned about, let's take the players we got, let's take the best 11 we have and find a system that fits those guys. You know what I mean? Find a way to get our best athletes on the field. Because, again, people have asked me, oh, do you expect Dak Joyner to play a lot? Do you expect Luke Doty to play a lot? And I'm like, dude, in a normal year, maybe not. But, like, with this team, the lack of weapons you have, you have to get your best athletes on the field at this point. I mean, Muschamp said Luke Doty's the fastest player on the team. So, you have to find a way to get him on the field. But I'll just be interested to see, again, with Mike Boba. Because, again, I think he's the key piece in all of this. Is he going to be able to assort these puzzle pieces together to get the most out of his team? Because, again, and I'm not comparing him to Steve Spurrier, obviously, but just for when you played, that's what Spurrier was so good at, I feel like, is just he was able to plug the pieces together to get the most out of the talent that was on the roster. Yeah, yeah I mean, and to his credit, like, you know, when we had that big run, he made a lot of adjustments to that system to mm. fit what Connor did well. Mm. Right. And, you know, which, you know, to that point, I mean, we kind of did the same thing when Savelle was in there too. You, you make that adjustment to fit the player. Spurrier changed gonna... this system a lot for those guys. Yeah. I mean, he was not used to a running mobile quarterback. I mean, no. he, he, he flipped his entire philosophy. I feel like he did. He absolutely did. I mean, it's the same, it's the same schematics. It's just mm -hmm. like you change it in a different way to make it work for this right. guy. And so, you know, watching last year, kind of what we went through offensively, obviously McClellan's gone, you bring in somebody else. And then, you know, we've got those, so you still got Hillens, you bring Doty in, who's allegedly the fastest player on the team. You got Dak sitting back there. So now you've got mobility and speed in there. And then the starting quarterback announcement was a tad disturbing to me yeah. on that front. So, I mean, we, we, I guess we can jump into that now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's what I want to say. So it kind of speaks on Mike Bobo, too. Because, Alex, we, we've all from, a, you know, obviously we, we've talked a little bit here and there over the last few months, but I'm almost kicking myself that I didn't see this coming because Mike Bobo gets the job. Colin Hill immediately follows. And it's so funny because my first thought in my head was, okay, Ryan's your starter. Um, I'm thinking Ryan's your starter. I thought Luke Doty was going to be QB, too. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Colin Hill's going to be a guy – He's battled a lot of injuries. He wasn't very good at Colorado State. Very average numbers, whatever. But he'll come in, be a nice veteran presence for Halinski and Doty. And he's going to be there to kind of bring those guys along. Kind of like in the NFL when they've got a veteran right. backup. And he's, he's going to bring the starter along. And well, he I look looks like Charlie Whitehurst, so it makes total <laughs> sense. Well, he, he's like either Charlie Whitehurst or Steven Garcia 2.0. I don't really know yet. But um, <laughs> I, I think back though, and I'm like, I can't believe I didn't see the writing on the wall because it was so interesting how this offseason, how this summer evolved. You know, I started hearing just kind of these random rumors like, hey, man, Colin Hill's looking pretty good. I think Colin Hill's realistically battling for the starting job. Like, and I was thinking to myself, okay, maybe this is just message board madness. Maybe it's just fans trying to hype up the backup. You know, that happens a lot, okay? And I said at the beginning of, of fall camp, one of my big storylines is we're either going to find out if – all of that was just the hype train was for not, or is there some substance to this Colin Hill hype? Sure enough, we're talking here on game week. Colin Hill is your starting quarterback. And again, I kick myself because I'm like, man, I should have saw this coming. I mean, if you really thought, you really sit and think about it, Mike Bobo is not going to bring in his guy to ride the bench. I mean, what I feel like had to happen was, and it, you can, you know, interject whenever, but I feel like what had to happen, 
Mike Bobo got the quarterback job. And when he got it, he was very critical of Holinsky's mechanics and stuff like that, extremely critical. But I think what had to happen, Mike Bobo gets the job, he sits down, he watches film of Ryan Holinsky last year, and he had to say to himself, you know what? I got a guy that can give this guy a run for his money. No doubt. My guy can come in here. He knows my system. He knows my playbook. He knows my scheme, my verbiage, everything, like the back of his hand. And I think with his skill set, he can come in here and, and give this guy some hell and maybe take his job away from him. I mean, what does it say to you that Colin Hill was named QB1? You know, obviously being a Mike Bobo disciple, you know, at Colorado State, he takes the job. What's that say to you? That it's not willing to evolve. Right. Ultimately, is what it says to me. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you, I mean, it, it, it makes total sense if you like look back on it, like you said, because you've got this kind of shortened camp situation, you got a shortened spring practice situation, and so you've got somebody walking in there who already knows offense. Knows what the calls are, knows what the formations are, knows and like you, where to look and on people, everything. You don't and have you to can't, learn it. you can't under like people. I think maybe don't understand like how important that is because they're like, I've seen comments. You know, obviously the the reaction on social media has been very, very mixed, like I expected. And I've seen people saying, "Oh, I mean, what was Ryan doing the last seven months? He can't, you know, he he couldn't study the playbook." I'm like, dude, you you got to think ridiculous. about like the you got to think about like the reps too, like yeah. all the reps, like actually being on the field doing it making the calls, being in the huddle. Like, I told people Ryan Holinsky was drinking water out of a fire hose and he was de facto a, a true freshman all over again. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, it, it, and especially, like, if you're going to run some sort of pro-style set where you're making changes at the line based on defensive fronts and things like that, if he already knows what that's supposed to be based on all of those looks walking in there and you got Luke, Ryan learning from zero, I mean, that's a tough ask for anybody. Mm. Unless, unless they, unless they are just wildly more talented mm. than he was. But again, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll know more Saturday about like kind of what they're asking him to do and what that's going to look like. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I, it feels a little bit like a horse and pony show to me. Like, yeah, hey, we're going to open this competition up, but like everybody in the background knows what's yeah. going on here, which is really not all that dissimilar from the headman bringing in. <laughs> somebody he knows and trusts right. from somewhere else. And yeah. same thing with, you know, bringing in, oh, how many offensive coordinators was that ago? <laughs> Probably three. Uh, guy from Duke. Um, was OC. Oh, Kurt was Roper. Florida. Yeah, Kurt Roper. Yeah, yeah no different Roper. than, you know, bringing in Kurt Roper. So mm. it makes sense. Fits. It fits with our teams. Yeah, it, it, it really does. When you really think about it, it really does. I. One of the things that's been kind of – I've sort of laughed at a little bit because, again, the reaction's been very, very mixed, and there's been some people that – like, I understand where they're coming from in a sense because I think the biggest thing is people want to be able to latch on to QB1, say this is our guy. And when you think about Ryan Holinsky, his story, what he's been through, his family stuff, family – you know, we all get that. I understand why people have mixed feelings about it. But what I've said is this. You're an SEC school. They're always recruiting your replacement 24-7. Your replacement is being recruited at this very moment. Like, that, that's what they're doing. If you don't like competition, there are other schools you can go to. Now, I've tried to really just spin it as a positive. Like, dude, it's a great thing. When's the last time we had a true, healthy quarterback competition? Like, we just genuinely had two guys going at it for Carolina. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, we, yeah. Because Jake Bentley, for the most part, just kind of had that job, and it it really didn't feel like it. I mean, it was basically if Jake Bentley's healthy, he is our starter. Um, but what makes me laugh, Alex, is everybody 
you know, there's a lot of people that like want to play the victim card and feel bad. And I'm like, where were y'all when Steve Spurrier was the head coach? When dudes are getting yanked every other play. Did you feel bad for Blake Mitchell? Did you feel bad for Garcia or Chris Smelly, God forbid? Did you feel bad for those guys? I mean, like, it's just the nature of the position. Because I'm one, people all, you know, people love to ask me, Chris, who do you think should be the starter? Who do you want to be the starter? My simple response is this. Whoever wins us games, I genuinely don't care whether it's Colin, whether it's Luke, whether it's Ryan, whether it's Dak. I don't care if it's Jay Urich. I really don't give a damn. Just go win a football game. Go beat Tennessee. And in a year where Will Muschamp and Mike Bobo, I mean, Mike Bobo's not a stupid guy. He understands this. <clears throat> that he's on, he's on limited time right now. He's on a one-year lease. And yeah. I think, you know, even in a season where we both agreed, I don't think Carolina's going to shell out of pocket unless some big booster, wherever you are, if you're listening to me, if you come out 13 mil out of your pocket, I'm not whatever, you do what you want. But realistically, it's a big year either way. It's a pivotal year just for the program, for the progress of the program. Because if they have a bad year and he comes back, it's almost going to be impossible for them, for them to dig themselves out of that hole. I mean, it just is. So I don't, I don't blame the coaches for playing the guy who's the veteran who they feel like gives them the best chance to win. Like, I understand why they named Colin the starter. 100%. If he knows the system, it's because kind of what we were talking about earlier just with the leadership thing, the other biggest part of all of this is trust. Yeah. Like, do you trust that guy to go out there and execute it the way that you think he should? Mm-hmm. And if that is higher, if the variable isn't high enough between athletic ability and skill and that trust, trust is going to win. Unless yeah. this, unless that athletic variability is way up here and you're just like, well, if you screw something up, we'll get 15 yards anyway, mm-hmm. which is not Ryan. And, you know, if that's equal, this is going to win. Yeah, that, so exactly, exactly. And that's what I said all offseason is that, you know, and if you watch film, Colin Hill can spin it. Like, I don't know if you've watched any. He's not a bad player. He, he can spin it. I, I know he wasn't good at Colorado State. <laughs> you, you have to think he's going to be playing on the best team he's ever been on, for sure. Oh, for sure. Most talent he's ever had around him. I mean, the dude can spin it a little bit, for sure. And, yeah, I, I said that all offseason, that, you know, if all things are equal, because, you know, it's just so funny to see the Colin Hill slander from some Carolina fans. I'm like, Listen, if Ryan Holinsky was just that much better of a player, playbook be damned, he'd be the starter. I mean, they're not going to throw a guy out there that just cannot play. You know what I mean? Correct. So, all things being equal, if you say, hey, these guys' throwing abilities are equal, their they're poise, their pocket awareness, everything that, their footwork, everything that goes into being a quarterback, well, the guy that knows the playbook better is going to win the job. I mean, it's just a given. It's a there given. So, like I said, I think, I think you're right. I think it comes back to that trust. And I think also the way the schedule sit, sets up this year, I think if it's a normal season and you, you open with Coastal and you play ECU and you have Mizzou week three, I think Ryan might be the starter. But it's just the simple fact that there's no wiggle room. I mean, Tennessee's going to bring it at you week one. You know Florida's going to bring it at you week two. So you got to have the guy in there that gives you – would you rather have the guy that you're going to run 70% of the playbook with or 100? You know what I mean? Like you, 100. It's, you know, it's 100 even, cause, because so. even running 100% of the playbook, I don't – expect this offense to be some juggernaut. But you're really going to put yourself behind the eight ball if you you can't even run your entire offensive set. Correct. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that, that's all it is at the end of the day. Like the dispersion and the talent and the athletic ability was not high enough to outweigh the trust factor. And so all things being equal, you send the guy in there that's going to do it the right way, the way that you want it done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see it play out because I'll, I'll be interested to see – what is the leash like for Colin Hill? Because Mike Bobo and Will Muschamp made it very clear. This is Colin's game. You know, we're not going in this game thinking, hey, we're going we're gonna to swap them in and out. And I'm really glad to hear them say that, Alex, because a quarterback competition is great. 
But my, Will Muschamp's not Steve Spurrier, and neither is Mike Bobo. And, hey, when you have Coach Spurrier, hey, I'll never forget the game against Arkansas where he literally switched out Garcia and Smelly every other play that entire game. And Carolina won that football game. I think it was 08. 08 was that game. Arkansas, Jared Cook had the long touchdown. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd switch guys out, whatever. Spurrier can get away with it. Like, I, I'm, I'm really glad to hear this is going to be Collins' game because quarterback competition is great. Quarterback controversy could be bad. Could be very bad. This team has enough problems, enough issues, enough questions. Having a quarterback controversy and then you could have some division in the locker room and it's just like – it's just not something you want to deal with in a season like this. I, I want to go ahead and get your take before we wrap up, Alex. Just your overall outlook on the 2020 season. And I know you already kind of agree with me. Your, rec- your record prediction is 3-7. and seven. I've got South Carolina beating – Again, Mizzou, Vandy, and I do think they beat Ole Miss on the road. That is my prediction right now. I've told people I would not be shot if Carolina finished like a four and six because it wouldn't be Carolina football. If you don't win one, you should and lose one, you should. Like I told a buddy of mine, it would not shock me at all if this team beat Tennessee and or Auburn but lost to Ole Miss on the road or lost to a Missouri. You know what I'm saying? But just talk about, again, your overall thoughts, your 30,000-foot view, I guess, but your overall thoughts on this 2020 season, what you're expecting. You've got three and seven. Why you're expecting that. I mean, we can go back and forth on this because I think we're going to be – we're going to agree on a lot of points here you're going to make, but just your overall outlook on the 2020 season. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I get to three and seven and just going through and saying, okay, these are games I will circle that I have a high degree of confidence that we're going to win, and that's obviously, you know, that's Vandy, Missouri, and it's Kentucky. Um, now, is Auburn a toss-up? Sure. Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee really, to me, is kind of a borderline toss-up game, depending on what they get out of Garantano. Um, I want to see it from Texas A&M. Auburn, that seems like a spot in the season where Auburn just decides to not get off the bus. Mm. And Auburn, Auburn's one of those teams I feel like they do that a lot. <laughs> I don't, do. know, what it, I don't do. know what it is, but Auburn's not a team I look at and I'm like, man, they really – I mean, heck, you were on the team 06. You almost beat them then. It's like we've always played them tough. Carolina's always yeah. – except for 05, that was a bloodbath. We won't talk about that. But outside of that, outside of that, South Carolina's played Auburn very, very tough. Yeah, so, I mean, that's – I mean, and, again, that's four weeks into the season, so we're going to have a better idea of what they are yeah. and what they look like there. So, I mean, that's – that's a, like, so, you know, Tennessee, to me, is a toss-up just because it's the opening game. You don't know, like, have they been tackling in practice? Who's to say? We'll find out. Um <laughs> So we got that one. Auburn, I think, is a toss-up. Ole Miss is definitely a toss-up. Mm. Um, that's just what I don't. If that was our first game, I would be much yeah. more confident. Lane about Kiffin. That, but Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Now we got the Lane train operating Lane train. for six weeks there. Who knows what that's <laughs> going to look like? Um, or, or if he's not in jail for like scrolling <laughs> the bars. Who knows? Joey oh, Freshwater yeah. returns Joey Freshwater. to Alabama at some point. Um, that's a toss-up. I think Missouri is bad so I think we yeah. win that game Georgia at home who knows I mean and again it's just so far down that line that you don't know yeah. what's going to happen with COVID infections or you know mm-hmm. anything that could pop up along the way but just like outside of that marking it down the wall I think we'd be Kentucky so I think there's definitely a path to five and five I think from a circling win standpoint I think you can circle three mm-hmm. off the bat and then I think there's a lot of toss-ups like you said yeah, like I said before, I think there's a path to five. I think there's a path to six. But, again, it's about putting the pieces together and making it happen on game day. Again, people I've talked to, I stress this when I talk to people like yourself, like other people that are critical of Coach Muschamp. It's, 
It's not coming from a place of not wanting to seek success or disliking the man on a personal level. It has nothing to do with that. The man runs a fantastic program Sunday through Friday. Great. Awesome. Likeable guy. But if you can't take the talent you have on the roster and go win on Saturdays, you make a lot of money to do so. That's why you're getting paid. So that's what South Carolina fans, us included, need to see in this 2020 season. Pandemic, be damned or not. I mean, I don't give a damn, really, at this point. I mean, everybody's dealing with it, right? So um, I'll ask you, Alex, before I get you out here, one last thing. What's one thing, because I know you're going to be watching the game, obviously, Saturday. What's, What's the number one thing you're looking forward to seeing if you had to pick one? I mean, it could be anything from, 20% 20% filled Willie B to the quarterback to the running back situation to the defense like what what or something with Tennessee maybe like what's the what's the thing that the thing you're keeping an eye on on Saturday night I, I want to see how flexible we are on offense based on you know if we get up I want this is this is what I want to see and this is what I don't think we have seen to date in the Wilmot's champ era like you know if we get up by three touchdowns we don't need to sit on it I don't want to see that ever again. Like, keep your foot on the gas, put it away. That's, like, any t- at any point this season, that's the number one thing I want to see from offense. Yes. Because, like, I don't know, you know, how many of these shows we did last year where we jumped out to 10, 14-point lead that evaporated late in the game because we got super conservative. And I would love to see that philosophy change. Yeah, I was going to say, as the Atlanta Falcons showed us all yesterday, no lead is Again, safe. how could that keep happening? <laughs> Are you a Falcons fan? I am not, but it's, oh. just, it's painful to watch. Yeah, well, I, hey, I was watching the game with my best friend who is a Falcons fan and a season ticket holder. This man has invested a lot of money in the Falcons. I said, I genuinely, I was like, I saw, I looked at him after the game and I said, I don't know how you do it. You're, you're better than me. I really don't. The it's amount of tough. money you're investing in that company. <laughs> well, it, 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 in that same point, and to kind of echo what you said earlier, just, you know, look, I've been as critical as you've been of Will Muschamp since he's been here. And I think, to your point, that just comes out of a place of frustration mm. where, like, I want us to be good. I want us to go out there every single weekend and know, like, with a high degree of confidence, like, we're going to compete today and we're going to put on a show. Mm. And it's just, it's frustrating because, to your point, you know, we haven't gotten that. Mm. And there's a lot of money and resources going into this. So, you know, the criticism that comes from me is not just because I'm some, you know, wild must champion. It's a great guy. He runs a clean program. All those things are positives. Just we got to put it together on that last day of the week. And nobody wants that more than I do. It's just, you know, we, you watch all these kind of dominoes fall where they do and just hope it gets better. And hope is not a strategy. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And I, that's, and you speak to it, and I, you mentioned the resources. You know, it, I think it comes from a place of frustration in knowing that we should be better. We should yes. be better. And I, should. I said that to someone on social media, just in closing here, I said that to someone on social media when they asked me about the whole Muschamp thing, and I said, you know what, you know what the biggest positive is with the Muschamp thing is it's going to play itself out in the field. I'm not going to have to say anything because the resources, the facilities, the money, the fan support, the talent, it's all too good to not win. And, and at some point, if you don't win enough games, you're going to get canned. Just bottom line. And it's nothing personal, but you have to move in a different direction. I think we're going to see itself play, play out on the field. But, again, like I told that same person, I hope Muschamp's the coach here the next 10 years. Because if he is, guess what? We turn it around and we won some games. So, Alex McGrath, appreciate you tuning in. We're going to have a lot to talk about, obviously, next Tuesday when we break down the uh, 
the Tennessee game. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we're talking about a W. But uh, always a pleasure, my man. We'll, we'll do it again next Tuesday for sure. Sounds good, brother. All right, he's Alex McGrath. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next episode of the Spurs Up Show. story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done